We had a great week. You've already heard much about it. What I want to do in the next few minutes as we continue to celebrate is just remind, or not remind you, but let you know about what we talked about with the kids each week. And I know it's Celebration Sunday, and we're all excited for a Kona ice truck to be in the parking lot in just a few minutes. And someone has already said to me recently, how is a sermon part of a celebration? I get it. I get it. But we're going to celebrate with a brief sermon. How about that? We can celebrate a brief sermon. Um, And so we're going to remind you of what the kids learned this week. We taught them a mega point each night. So the Monday mega point was I am valuable. Now at mega sports camp, we repeat it back. We yell out the mega point. So we're going to do that together. I'm going to count to three, and then you're going to tell me Monday's mega point, which is I am valuable, okay? So one, two, three. Yes, you are valuable. God gives you your value. It's not the sport that you play. It's not how smart you are in school, and it's not how popular you are. God gives you your value. On Tuesday, we taught them, I am influential. So one, two, three. I am influential. It's all right. It was hardest for the kids, too. That's all right. Um, But you have great influence. If Jesus is in your life, then you can have influence on other people. If they're doing a bad thing, you can influence them to do a good thing. On Wednesday, we taught them this mega point, I am brave. So one, two, three. I am brave. You are brave. We told them about how blind Bartimaeus was brave enough to step out and call out to Jesus because he needed healing. And we encourage the kids, you know, you should be brave in your life too. And it takes bravery to admit that you have a need and to call out to Jesus. On Thursday, we taught them this mega point. I am encouraging. So one, two, three. I am encouraging. Wonderful. So the most encouraging news in the world is that Jesus rose from the dead. So we told the children how anything could happen in our lives and the saddest thing that could possibly ever happen is that someone were to die. But the most encouraging news in the world is that Jesus rose from the dead. And if we trust in him, then we too can conquer death and live forever with Jesus. And the final day was Friday, and we taught them, I am selfless. So one, two, three. I am selfless. Great. We told them the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, if you remember, there was a wounded person on the side of the road, and different religious people walked by. But the Good Samaritan didn't just walk by, he stopped and he sacrificed his time, and he sacrificed his treasure, he sacrificed his own safety to help out someone else. And so we told them that they too should leave Mega Sports Camp and live a life that is selfless of serving others just like Jesus. Each night, we encourage them to memorize this one verse. It's Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now what's exciting about having the kids memorize that verse is one, it's the simple and clear message of salvation. And some of the kids trusted in that this week. Some of them came to camp already trusting in that. And I hope that in years to come, other kids or maybe even adults will come to trust and believe that that verse is true because they've memorized it and it's hidden in their heart and hidden in their mind. And maybe God will bring it out at just the right time because that seed was planted in their hearts this week. This is what I want us to look at for the remainder of our time here together is this simple verse. It is a simple message of salvation and we need simple things because we get a way of confusing ourselves. I went today or this week to the Apple Music and I said, I want to hear a song about salvation. And so Apple Music has access to all the songs, right, that have ever come out. 
There are over a hundred songs with the song title Salvation. You see, we are a people that want salvation. You start looking through the songs. You might think to yourself, well, of course there's a hundred songs called Salvation because churches gather and write music. But these are songs by like the Cranberries and Elton John and Rancid. So they're not all like church songs. You just keep looking through the music that we're singing, music that's popular. And you remember the Queen song? I know Chuck is with me here. Save me, save me, save me. Do you remember it? Someone? I am encouraging. Queen has a song. It says, save me, save me, save me. And then it says, I can't face life alone. Save me, save me, save me. I'm naked and far from home. A more recent one, someone like Selena Gomez sings, hurry up and save me. I just want to feel alive. And I do when I'm with you. Many want salvation. I think our society is desperate for salvation. And we look for salvation from loneliness in other relationships. We look for salvation from emptiness, oftentimes in drugs or alcohol. We look for salvation in the fullest sense. We're desperate to know if we can live forever. You know what the fastest growing religion in the world is? It's actually Islam. People are turning even to religion to find salvation. Now, people in the Muslim faith have lots of children, and so as you study like these global growth of religion around the world, you can grow through birth rate, and you can grow through conversion rate. And if you just try to look at conversion rate, it's really hard to understand, but they think maybe Christianity and Islam are running neck and neck. You know what is one of the fastest growing spiritual paths in America, though? It's actually witchcraft which includes Wicca, paganism, folk magic, and other New Age traditions. The point is simply this. We're desperate for salvation. You know what it tells us in Scripture? That God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And we're just desperately trying to find salvation, except it's the blind leading the blind. But God opens blind eyes, doesn't he? And he gives us a sense of purpose, and we have influence And God wants us to share that message of salvation, and it's quite simple. Now, you're gathered with me here this morning, so you're looking to God for salvation more than likely. But unfortunately, even as we look at churches, there are oftentimes in a church like ours, even gathered with us today, people that are confused on salvation and the message of salvation. There are some still in church today that think that, well, fundamentally, how am I saved? I think it might be if I do enough good works, if I get to heaven one day and I've done more good than bad on those eternal scales. Oh, that's just confusion. There's other Christians that gather and they think, well, my salvation must have something to do with, with things like, like these sacraments, like, like baptism and, and communion and confession and confirmation. Those things must have something to do with my salvation. And so even within churches, even with Christians, there's still confusion. And so God knew that we needed something simple. And so he gave us Romans 10, 9. He said, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So let's look at that this morning. It's like two sides to a coin. 
We don't want to separate these two things, declaring with your mouth and believing in your heart. They're not two separate things. It's two sides to one coin. But let's look at each side of the coin. So first, if we look at the front side of the coin, declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. When I look at that, it's very interesting to me that it says Jesus is Lord when it's a message about salvation. If I were writing it, I probably would have wrote, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Savior... But Paul, inspired by God, wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, well, that just strikes me as odd. So then if you look a little closer, if you look through the New Testament, then you start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Romans, all the way to Revelation, and you you ask these searches to run these searches, you find that Jesus is referred to as Savior 10 times. That's good. He's our Savior. You look and see, how many times is Jesus referred to as Lord? Hundreds. We think maybe as many as 700 times Jesus is referred to as Lord. So sometimes in Christian spaces like this, we lean real hard and heavy into Savior because we all want to be saved. But in Scripture, it seems to be saying that if you want salvation, you need to declare that Jesus is Lord. Why do we tend to shy away from Lord? I wonder if it's because the word Lord means He to whom a person or thing belongs, the owner, the one who has control or authority. Those are kind of scary words. For me to give control of my life over to someone else, for me to submit to the authority of someone else, those are things that I don't really like to do. There can be scary ideas, but they don't have to be scary. Just think of those children's fairy tales that we were familiar with when we were little. Right, You had a princess who was living in a kingdom ruled by a good and kind king. And what would it have been like to live in that fairy tale land with that beautiful kingdom where they're all singing and dancing in the streets and there is this good and kind king on the throne? Well, you have safety within that kingdom and you have the sense of community with the other people and you have identity within that kingdom and you have a sense of purpose because maybe you're the blacksmith or maybe you're the baker or maybe you run the library. And so within this kingdom, it is such a good place. Why? Because there is a good and kind king on the throne. But this kingdom isn't actually centered around what you want and your desires. It's centered around the king. And as you live in that kingdom for a bit, you begin to think to yourself, Well, not everything is how I want it. I actually wish the boundaries were in a different spot. I kind of wish the laws were different. I kind of wish that I could do what I want to do, and I don't always have to do what the king says I have to do. I'd kind of like my own freedom outside the constraints of this kingdom. And so you walk outside the walls of that kingdom, and you've told yourself, I'm going to make my own kingdom, and I'll be my own king. And as you go out there, you find others that are on the same mission. And so there you are with all these other people, and you think, I'll find that community I had there out here, but here's what happens. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. And on your little mission to create a kingdom, you can't find anybody that wants to join your kingdom because none of them agree with you on everything. And you're out there trying to to have that community you had in there, but you're just fighting with everybody. And so you don't have this sense of identity, and you don't have a sense of purpose because there's just arguing all the time, and you've lost that sense of safety because everybody is angry with one another. And so you begin to think to yourself, maybe salvation is returning back to that kingdom. And so as you approach that kingdom, you're reminded of the values and the laws of that kingdom that you're about to go back into. And as you enter that kingdom and you walk through the gates, there's the king. He's open open welcoming you with his arms. But everyone who enters the gates of that kingdom has to pledge allegiance. They have to declare 
that Jesus is Lord, and they have to believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. All I've done right there is just retell the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son said, I'm going to go out there and be my own king. And then he turns from the, the slop of the pigs back to his eternal heavenly father. When Jesus was on this earth, do you know what he walked around and told people? He told people, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He invited people into his kingdom. And so we can find safety and security and identity and belonging and all these good things with Jesus as our king. It doesn't have to be a frightening and a scary thing to turn over the authority of your life to someone else if they're good and kind and if they can give you identity and belonging and purpose. I keep saying those three words because they're three words that I always keep in front of myself because those are the three things that studies show us that the next generation is most desperately searching for. Identity, belonging, and purpose. The kids that filled mega sports camp, they're going to continue to grow and they're going to continue to search for what is my identity, where do I belong, and what is my purpose. It's why if you look around society, we're so confused on identity. We're like layers of an onion. We have different levels of identity, but at our core, we're trying to figure out what is my core identity? Is it male or female? Is it race? Is it nationality? What's my core identity? And God tells us what our identity is, that you were created in the image of God, and he loved you so much. He knows you're broken, and so he sent his son, Jesus, down to earth to show you how valuable you are, and that he invites you into his family to be a prince or a princess of the king, and that's your identity. At the core of your onion, that is who you are. And so at Mega Sports Camp, we let them know, we all gather here. We're all boys and girls, and some of us are good at sports, and some of us are good at arts, and some of us are good at singing, and some of us are good at leading, and some of us are good at organizing, but all of us are finding our central identity in Christ, belonging. Where do I belong? This youngest generation is lonely. We're all lonely, research shows us. Research is showing us that our loneliness is off the charts, never before seen levels of loneliness and isolation in the culture in America today. We're surrounded by people like never before and access to other people like never before and we are lonelier than we've ever been before. And so into that space, God tells us, oh, you belong here. You belong with me. Come and return into my kingdom. Come and be. We have a family reunion every Sunday where we gather together and there's Christian mothers and Christian fathers and Christian brothers and Christian sisters I think that's what's one of the things that's most compelling about Mega Sports Camp. We all gather here together before camp starts and we eat together. And there's this sense of community and belonging that happens when you eat with other people. And then we serve together. We work side by side with one another. And that creates a sense of belonging. And then when the kids show up, we let those kids know that they belong here that we love and value them. We put them in circles of six or seven or eight and a loving and caring adults sit with them and talk with them and ask them how they are and what they think. And the kids come back because they have fun, but also because they feel like this is a safe place. This is a place where I'm cared for and a place where I belong. Purpose. This next generation wants to know, why am I here? What's the point? And they want a sense of Purpose. It's why there's so much activism. It's why people are caring for the, the planet or they're caring for the poor or they're caring for animals. Whatever it is, they want to have a purpose to their life. And so God gives us purpose. On the first pages of the Bible, he invites you to care for his creation. 
And as you read through it, he invites you to care for the poor and he invites you to fight against injustice and he invites you into his efforts of redeeming and restoring the whole world. At Mega Sports Camp, we have a strong sense of purpose. We all come together, whether it's sports or the arts, and we're working together for one central purpose, salvation. That is our central purpose. We want people to know that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the other side of the coin, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it mean to believe in your heart? How can we make that as simple as possible? Well, when we look in scripture at the word believe, it can have a couple of different ideas attached to it. It can be mind, I need, to, I need to think that something is true, that's part of belief. There's an idea that has to do with your affections or what you want. So I can think something is true, but I may not want to follow it. And then there's this third element in scripture where it talks about the will, so your actual action. And so that's why when we share the gospel with children, we invite them into something as simple as a prayer that's like ABC. A, admit. So admit what is true. Admit that you have a need and that you need a savior. And then the B is to capture our affections. Believe that to be true in your heart. And then C is this word commit. And it means you need to, you need to have some response of the will, right? We illustrate it most simply with a chair. So I've done this so many times over the years, maybe you've heard it explained this way already, but if you're gonna sit in a chair and you're gonna believe that this chair holds you up, you wanna admit that it can hold you up. And so you inspect it, does it look sturdy? Yes, okay, I believe. Well, no, you don't, you haven't sat in the chair yet. Okay, all right, why aren't you sitting in the chair? Are you not tired? No, I'm tired. Do you wanna sit in the chair? Yes, I want to sit in the chair. So you admit that the chair will hold you up, you believe and you desire to sit in the chair. Why are you still standing? Well, no, I believe in Jesus, and I want to follow him. Well, then sit down. Then sit down. Like, that's the seed. That's the commit. Like, let's go all in. Let's live for him. Faith without works is dead, it says in James. So sometimes we don't sit and commit, but others of us get stuck on the A, admitting that it's true, which is hard. It's hard to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because dead people don't come back to life. It's because that's a total miracle. Dead people don't come back to life. And so you need to admit that it's true that a dead man came back to life. You might get stuck on that. If you're stuck on that, then just compare your options. Because I think we all have to pick a chair. I think human beings born into this world have to pick a chair. And so you don't just have Christianity to pick from. You've got other options. I was bringing these in the car this morning, and my daughter was like, Dad, don't let anybody sit in that chair. I was like, all right, that's a deal. So take a look at your options. Genuinely, like take a look at Islam, take a look at Hinduism, take a look at secular humanism. Like walk through in your mind, what are the implications if I truly deep down believe that it is survival of the fittest? You want to go with survival of the fittest, then analyze that and inspect it and look all over it and see what it feels like or what it might be like to sit in that chair. And there's other chairs that look good, right? Like this looks like a pretty solid chair, but it's not. I'm not going to sit in it. When I was driving to church this morning, I told Rosie, said, um, 
So I told her what I was doing, and she said, well, have you picked a chair? And I was like, Rosie, I'm betting my life on a chair. Like, I've picked a chair. And she's like, no, no, no. At the church, there's metal chairs, and there's, like, black chairs. I was like, oh, yeah, I picked a chair. And then I broke that one this morning <laughs> for the illustration. The chair's a helpful illustration of faith. Where it falls short is you need salvation from where you see danger. There's no danger in needing to sit or not. Fundamentally, we need salvation because death awaits all men. You see, back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, the curse came into all the human race, and that curse for sin is death, and death awaits us all. But we distract ourselves from it with all the comforts, with all of the money, with all of the busyness of our lives and the loving people around us, I just am so comfortable, I don't have to think about it. So I sense no danger. I'm not convinced that I need salvation because I'm doing a pretty good job of how I'm living my life today. So maybe rather than a chair, we need to think about this. It could be that you need to realize that the path that you're walking on has danger, bridge out signs all around you. Do you admit that that's true? Do you admit that you're headed towards a path that ends in death? I, I believe that. I admit that's true. Do you believe, do you desire to follow a new path that leads to eternal life? I do desire it. Then why are you still walking towards the bridge that is out? Why don't you turn? Why don't you follow after Jesus? Why don't you obey him and live a life that follows after his teachings? And that's what we're inviting you to do today. It's what we invited kids to do this week. It's what I did when I was a child. It's what 28 children chose to do this week, we hope and we pray. And we don't want you to leave here today without having made that same choice to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and to experience his salvation. Now, I don't want you all leaving here this morning because if you're like me, you'd be listening to me right now and you'd be ready for the Kona ice truck and you'd be saying to yourself, I'm so happy he preached a salvation message because I'm hoping and praying that someone in this room needs to apply that sermon. Well, let me just derail that real quick and give you a little tip. This salvation is for every single one of you. It used to be earlier in my Christian life that I thought Romans chapter 10 verse 9 was like the door that I entered into for my salvation. And then after I've been a Christian for a while, that's in my past. Like, I declared he was Lord. I believed in my heart. I did that when I was a kid. And then a number of years ago, I began to think of the metaphor differently. It's not the door that I opened and left behind, but it's the road I walk every single day. So every single day, I need to declare that Jesus is Lord. When I'm selfish, when I just double down on my self-centeredness, and this is how I want it to be, you know what I need to do in that moment? I need to pause and I need to confess with my mouth that Jesus is my king. And this world doesn't revolve around me. And I'm his servant, and what I'm doing is not his way. And whenever I bump into something that's really difficult and I don't understand and I can't see a way out and it just looks like an impossible scenario, you know what I need to do? I need to believe. I need to declare with my mouth that Jesus is king and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And if God can raise a dead man from death to life, he can do anything in my life. And even if the situation that is troubling me so much leads to my own death, even in that, I will have victory because I will rise from death like Jesus did. Every day of my life, I need to apply Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Every day of my life, I have to remind myself that I am not the center of the universe. God is. And I have to trust and believe in him that he does the impossible. He forgives me of my sins. He washes me clean. And he calls me to a great purpose in my life. Let's pray together. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news. It is encouraging news, Lord, and we pray that that would come across that way for each one of us. And I do pray that if there's anyone here or online with us who has never trusted, has never declared with their mouth that you are Lord, believed in their heart that you raised from the dead, that they would, at this moment, Lord, take that step. And for all of us, we all need to pray. We all need to confess you as Lord. Take control of our lives, we pray, Heavenly Father. We trust in you. We trust that you can do the impossible, that you forgive us of our sins. So Lord, we go out today, this week, and we pray for these children that these seeds would produce fruit in their own hearts, but we pray as well for ourselves, Lord, that this would produce much fruit in our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. The Kona Ice Truck is here. So here's the deal. We're saying thank you to all our volunteers and all the kids that came to Mega. So in the foyer as you go, if you volunteered for Mega, we have a little ticket for you to get a free Icy. If you're a volunteer with us or a kid, and if you're our guest, we'll give you a ticket. And probably anyone who asks me for a ticket, I will give it to you because I can't say no. All right? And so uh, here's our benediction as we go today. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.